0: Pushkin. Support for this podcast comes from Qualcomm Incorporated. Staying connected is more important than ever before.
1: With that in mind, the Qualcomm Small Business Accelerator program is providing
0: $25,000 worth of equipment, software, and services to select small businesses making the transition to remote, mobile-first work environments during COVID-19 and beyond. To learn more about the Qualcomm Small Business Accelerator program, visit qualcomm.com/covid. From Pushkin Industries, this is Deep Background, the show where we explore the stories behind the stories in the news. I'm Noah Feldman. The world has recently been gripped by the extraordinary and extraordinarily beautiful image of a black hole, a thing which we know allows no information or light to escape and of which we therefore, strictly speaking, shouldn't have an image at all. To make sense of this at the level of logic, at the level of physics, and at the level of deeper meaning, we're thrilled to have with us today Andy Strominger, one of the leading theoretical physicists in the world, who's made fundamental contributions to quantum gravity theory, to string theory, and has also worked extensively on black holes. Don't take my word for it that Andy's the right person to talk to. He's won every prize there is to win in the space of theoretical physics. and. Andy is also a director of the Center for Fundamental Laws of Nature at Harvard. On top of that, he's also one of the co-directors of the Black Hole Initiative here at Harvard University where I'm speaking to Andy today. Andy, thank you so much for coming and joining. Great to be here, Noah. So Andy, let's just start with the image, which is a great headline grabber and something that is extraordinarily beautiful but which, strictly speaking, isn't a classic photographic image, whatever the world may imagine. So say a word, if you will, about what we're seeing, what it is, and then from there we can move on to what it tells us.
1: Okay, well, um, I'd like to back up a little bit. It was 100 years ago that Einstein predicted with his equations that there would be black holes, and people have been arguing about them for most of the time, not believing that they exist. Einstein wrote a paper, 1938, saying black holes don't exist. Most people thought they didn't exist until probably the 70s. And how they behave, what's inside them, why they're there, has been a central uh, debate in physics for the last 100 years. I have spent the majority of my scientific career thinking about them trying to understand them along with hundreds of other people and then all of a sudden to see it to see a picture of it like wow that thing is real it's really it's really uh it so it's not really we're not moment.
0: the only ones who have that has that effect oh, no. you could be the oh, deepest no, no, specialist no, no. and you're I, moved by it
1: I, I i promise you that we have a bunch more it rocked our worlds to like see this thing that we've been talking about our whole lives there it is you know even though you knew it was there we knew it was there but there is a big difference between knowing something's there and seeing it you know maybe there was still that tidy nagging doubt i don't know but it really uh is great to see it
0: it's a great thing actually to hear that from a physicist because when non-physicists like me mere lay people we instinctively have the feeling if we don't see something, maybe it's not there. And then the physicists tell us it's all equations, it's all logic, there are experiments that validate these things. Take it on faith, you know, like you'll never fully understand those things, but we know. And so to hear that you too, or even you, like to actually see stuff is a kind of, I don't know, there's like some epistemological relief to me in hearing that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So what is it that we are in fact seeing?
1: A black hole by definition is a region of space and time from which no light escapes. So we're not seeing light from the black hole. What we're really seeing is light emitted by gases swirling around the black hole, things that we don't understand very well, and we're seeing the shadow of the black hole. So that dark spot in the middle of that picture.
0: The absence in the middle of the presence. The
1: absence in the middle of the picture
0: is where the black hole is. One of the ways that was central to, or the main thing that was central to making this telescope able to see something so extraordinarily far away, was to turn the whole Earth into a telescope. Uh, how, does that, how does that work? We get to the
1: size of the Earth because we take about eight different telescopes located at different points around the Earth, and we synchronize them. And so it's, of course, not a complete lens covering the entire Earth, But it still uh, gives you a lot of resolving power if you can
0: just grab the light at those uh, separate points. And as an accomplishment, the creation of the image with all of its coolness is scientifically significant. Why? For several reasons. First of all, it
1: is in and of itself a spectacular technical accomplishment, one that would not have been possible 10 years ago. It required many things. It required uh, amazing improvements in the accuracy of atomic clocks. Um, it, re- it required uh, bigger hard drives, bigger data processing capabilities. It re- required— I read at a- one
0: point that the data was so much that it actually had to be flown from one place oh, to another. Because yeah. oh, the, yeah. the internet couldn't accommodate it. Right.
1: And, and Shep himself, I saw him lugging around these, uh, you know— Discs with the, you know, he would go down to Mexico, go up to the uh, top of the mountain, and l- lug it, lug it back. Of course, the whole team was was working on it. But and it was Shep a real, is
0: Shep is the director. Shep Bowman of Dolman is
1: the, is 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 the director.
0: Um, and you're your co-director at the my, Black Hole Initiative, the and the UK director and of a, this Event Horizon Project, and, and
1: a great great scientist. And
0: um, and the algorithm has also gotten some attention and deserves some attention. I take it produced by uh, Kitty Bowman, a recent Postdoc, right?
1: Yes, there were, of course, the whole. And a team. There's there's a big team of hundred to two hundred people, and um, you know all this kind of big science is done in in uh, big teams in big teams now, and it's it's the only way it could can be done. But number one is the big technical accomplishment. Number two, there is the importance of having seen these objects, Mm -hmm. you know, and that shouldn't be be underestimated. Number three, it's only the beginning. Um, One of the things that struck me when I saw the papers was, uh, which I was not privy to before the the general release, uh, was how little actual observing time they had. When I first met 10, 15 years ago, this project was you know it was a it was a dark horse. It was mm-hmm. it was not uh, you know the the center of uh, astronomical efforts, mm-hmm. um, and it was a funny idea, but one that the more you thought about it, the more sense it made.
0: Why was it? Why was that? Just parenthetically, why why wasn't it at the centerpiece of as you say, the black hole is so crucial, so important, and seeing it would be a big deal.
1: You know, because it wasn't. There are many ways it could have failed. Right. They had to increase their observational precision by many orders of magnitude over whatever, what anybody had ever seen. What they did, it's like standing in Boston and reading the date on a quarter in Los Angeles.
0: That is, that is the precision that they had to have to image this black hole. The general public tends to forget, I tend to forget, that the funding of scientific projects is always a kind of a bet or a gamble. It's a bet, yeah. And when the odds of, the, of success are relatively low, the funders are skeptical about putting too much money on that yeah. gamble. When people thought about it 10 or 15 years ago, did they think, well, if we get enough computing power, this is one of the things we'll fix? And it's a question of whether we'll ever get enough computing power or was it rather a question of um, other aspects of the technical difficulty of doing it? He wasn't
1: dismissed, and the thing was funded, and it and of course, it, and it yeah. did happen. But it, yeah, it, it was not obvious. It, it was not obvious. You know, the Earth is just barely big enough to image this thing. Uh-huh. It's also very important that the wavelength that they could access with this uh, large uh, collated array is one in which there isn't a lot of absorption between us and the black hole, mm-hmm. you know, that there isn't a lot of dust that— blocks the light at that, that wavelength. Right. So there were some coincidence that, you know, luck smiled on, on, on the project. It might not have been possible. I, don't, I doubt if you get Shepard here, <laughs> you could ask him. But I doubt he would have been certain, to, you know, 10, 15 years ago that it would work. But I was going on to say they didn't get all that much observing time. Now clearly they'll get more. Right. There will be better resolution, mm-hmm. more observing time. They'll set one up out in space. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, we are entering an era. So this is the of opening
0: of that era, in fact. An era
1: of precision black hole astronomy.
0: So let's talk about now what we can see and what we will see when we get more time, more observations, and the emergence of what you described as a new, a new science, really, of precision right. black hole astronomy. You, with some collaborators have been actually making predictions the way theoretical physicists like to do. You know, a theoretical physicist makes predictions and sometimes they can be tested in his or her lifetime. Sometimes it takes generations. In this instance, you've made a series of observational predictions that things that you expect can be picked up. And now that will turn to whether they will in fact be, be picked up, which is dramatic and exciting. What kinds of predictions have you already been been making and when can we expect to see results?
1: I've been working with um, Alex Lipsasa, Delilah uh, Gates, and Dan Kapetz. Um, and we um, are very interested in what happens very near the
0: horizon of the bla- of
1: the black hole, right at the edge of that
0: inner shadow. And remind people, just because it's never bad to redefine it, the event horizon.
1: Yeah. So, the event horizon is the boundary of the region of space-time from which light rays can escape. So, in practical terms, it's the
0: edge of that. If you're inside the event horizon, you're in the black holiness of the black hole. Yeah. You're Once you go inside
1: out. the event horizon, you can, you can never come out. And um, so,
0: your, your predictions relate to what's happening at that edge.
1: Right. And one of the things that we are very interesting in is that um, black holes can spin around like a top. Mm-hmm. And it's believed that the M87, the, the black hole that we've just seen, is spinning at light speed, or very near light speed. So there has been claims of this from other kinds of measurements mm-hmm. uh, in, in the literature. And a black hole, which spins at light speed, does some incredibly peculiar things. Mm-hmm. As you get near the edge of the black hole, a long sort of funnel or wormhole forms. It's kind of like a tornado mm-hmm. with a long spout. Mm-hmm. And as the black hole spins faster and faster, uh, that spout it sounds like I'm talking about some science fiction stuff. But that's this, true of
0: everything with respect to black holes, though. So go on.
1: <laughs> Sounds like I'm talking about science fiction stuff, but we we may be seeing this mm-hmm. kind of black hole now. The spout or the wormhole that goes to the horizon of the black hole actually becomes an infinitely long tube uh protruding out of the out of space-time. And that will lead to so some, I was about
0: to ask you where, where the wormhole leads, but if it's infinitely long, the answer is yeah it, go- it it leads to infinity
1: it go it leads to infinity, but before it gets infinitely long, where the wormhole leads, it goes into the horizon black hole, and once it crosses
0: there, we don't know we don't know what's inside a black hole so the part of the wormhole is in the very edge of the wormhole is at the event horizon, right as it were, and then it extends infinitely away from the black hole and connects on to this space time that you and I live in, and that so, we're seeing into— That does sound like science fiction. <laughs> it does sound like
1: science fiction, but we're
0: seeing it, you know? Yeah. And how, you know, will, how would that be seen? I mean, what would that, as it were, look like?
1: We, in our paper, mm-hmm. gave uh, some very specific predictions about uh, what the polarization uh, of the light coming out will be. It's known that it's polarized— uh,
0: Not that's coming from the black hole, but the light that's sorry, coming Sorry, the from- light in the halo. Yes. It's known that it's polarized.
1: polarized. But the distribution hasn't been extracted from the data yet. I mm-hmm. think they've already seen it. Mm-hmm. They have these mountains of hard drives with yes. the data they need to process. Right. And um, they haven't extracted from that uh, what the polarization is. Luck will have to shine on us mm-hmm. for— uh, For their
0: measurements to be sufficient to prove what you've predicted. Yeah. Right. Um, Because they they, they weren't there looking for what you predicted.
1: Well, that's right. And also, might not be this round, might not be a precise enough measurement for Mm -hmm. our prediction to be Mm -hmm. uh, verified or or not. But I'd stress that our prediction is a prediction of the Einstein equation. Mm -hmm. It's just... The Einstein equation in, in a very unusual circumstance, mm-hmm. not like the predictions that Einstein made where the effects of general relativity on the bending of light or in the solar system, they were small effects. Yes. Here
0: it's huge. Large effect.
1: Here it changes dramatically the nature of
0: space and time. Everything. So that, that we really have to, to some degree, even reimagine what we, are, what we mean in ordinary language terms. Yeah.
1: So we think that if you were to uh, go in a spaceship to near the horizon of M87, Mm -hmm. you would be forced to whirl around it. Mm -hmm. You couldn't just approach it straight Mm -hmm. on. There would be a force by the warping of space-time that would drag you around like a tornado Mm -hmm. and pull you down this—
0: Down the drain into the— Down the drain. Into the black hole. At the speed of light. It's, through the wormhole.
1: Yeah, down the wormhole to the, yeah. Uh, so,
0: and it would grab you well before you got to the event horizon. So in practical terms, though it's outside the event horizon, your descent into the black hole would begin a lot sooner than it otherwise would be.
1: If it were really spinning all the way at the speed of light, mm-hmm. it would grab you when you were infinitely far away from the event horizon, but suck you there in a finite amount of time by pulling you up to the speed of light.
0: But when you say it would grab you when so I'm just trying to get my mind around this and not so much succeeding. When you say it would grab you, the reason you're infinitely far away is is that sounds as though, well, we're infinite we're we're at some distance less than infinitely far away from M eighty seven right now. Why doesn't it grab us? Well we
1: don't know that because we're not infinitely far away from the edge of the wormhole. And the wormhole could be Infinitely long. Now, I don't think it is that you'd have to be going absolutely at the speed of light for it to be infinitely long. But mm-hmm. it could be very, very
0: long. And so we could be much farther away than it seems. I mean, the rest of the universe exists. We, the rest of the universe is not presently, I take it, currently captured by the wormhole. Right. And spinning at some very rapid speed around the black hole and on the way to the event horizon. We're not headed, all headed that way, I take it. Right. So God, my question right. is, why?
1: Ah, well, because we're far away and the we're gravitational force is weak. weak. But when you right. get to some critical Point. distance, right. all of a sudden, it's a spinning black hole is surrounded by a science fiction region which yes. was discovered in the sixties called the ergosphere. Mm-hmm. And life inside the ergosphere is very different than life in this room. Yes.
0: And Existence, rather than life, because nothing yes. is living.
1: Once you get into the ergosphere, anyone who enters the ergosphere, which is still outside the black hole, yes, you you are forced to spin around in the in the tornado vortex outside the the, the black hole. Um, and that, the wormhole
0: is a big extension of that.
1: The wormhole is the is the vortex. It is the going, vortex. Yeah, it is the vortex going down to the black hole. Got it. So. We, what we know really is our distance from the mouth of the wormhole, I not how long, how long
0: the, the, wormhole, the wormhole
1: is. is. Now, right. n- nobody thinks it's infinitely right. long, but it could be long enough to be interesting mm-hmm. and long enough to make
0: a signal. And the, how, will, how will the observation of the polarization of the light that presently is visible at the edge of the black hole get you to some better understanding of the, of the wormhole?
1: Well, the, the worm it will verify the existence of of the wormhole. I see. and the polarization is not the only thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are mm-hmm. other things that you m- might try to 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 measure. Now I stress that there we're just one of, and not even the most important one of many groups who are in the Event Horizon Telescope themselves are mm-hmm. making predictions. Sure. Of course, they had to compare their their theory to the theoretical predictions to to their observation to get their estimate that they published of of the mass. We are especially interested in some of these novel aspects because, uh, first of all, because they're weird and interesting and they're there and we're seeing them, and also because they tie in with ideas about the quantum structure of black holes and what's inside a black hole in a very
0: intricate way. And that question of what's inside is hugely controversial and, and fascinating. So the question of what's inside... Also philosophical, if I yeah, venture yeah. to use that word. There are philosophical aspects to
1: it, but there is a very sharp meaning to it. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, as Stephen Hawking showed, if you wait long enough, and even the you know, event horizon team won't have this much patience, Mm I mean like a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. The black hole will evaporate and what's inside using quantum effects Mm -hmm. will
0: come out. And then the question is, would the thing that came out, would what was inside that come out have some information in it?
1: There is an inside that we would ultimately see if we could wait long enough, which I think which moves billions, it from the re- realm of, of, of Yeah. More than billions. Moves it from philosophy to physics because yeah. there
0: would be … Because it's not an unanswerable question.
1: Well, it's a question
0: people could argue about … That's a separate interesting question. What makes something a physics question as and opposed what, to a philosophy question? I was using a, a shorthand of imagining that physicists only like questions that in principle could be answered.
1: It's a question which can be answered with a Gedanken experiment, one you do in your mind,
0: yeah, a thought but you experiment. can't
1: get the funding to do it, okay? <laughs> right. So some people would say— or you don't that, have infinite time. Well, you don't have infinite time. Some people would say that physics is the study of questions you could answer with real experiments that could be funded,
0: um, that's a pretty cramped, though, view of. I mean, wouldn't it cover a lot of your your earlier work, wouldn't, right?
1: Wouldn't cover wouldn't cover a lot of my work,
0: right? And I think, to be fair, I don't think that's what most non-physicists yeah, think. Yeah. I think it's a that would be a very hard nosed, predictive, pragmatist view. It, it is not physics if I can't test it, you know, and get funding to test it. Yeah, yeah. The laws of nature presumably should be resistant to being but, cabined by what we can fund.
1: But what's exciting to me here is that this observation is touching the edge possibly touching the edge of the things that bearing on the issues mm-hmm. of people that people think about who want to understand what's really inside a black hole.
0: So you mentioned uh, your friend Stephen Hawking, yes, also your yes. your collaborator yes. um, who died not not so long ago and with whom yes. you did a lot of work over the years. But most recently, you had been working on some pretty major projects with him also yes. connected to black holes. Yes, Tell yes. us a little bit about that.
1: Yes. Stephen in his most famous work in the 70s showed that with an argument that is so simple and elegant that it has never been seriously questioned, Mm -hmm. um, that when you include quantum effects, black holes are not completely black, that quantum effects allow a sort of the uncertainty principle about where the horizon of the black hole is allows a small amount of light and matter to tr- slowly trickle out of, the, of a black hole and at, so at ideas, a very slow rate.
0: So those are big things, and let me try a very, very layperson's yeah. attempt to, to make sense of that. If we imagined determinative locations and laws of physics— then nothing escapes the black hole. That's what makes it a black hole. But one of the key points of quantum theory is that precisely you can't pin down the exact location of every quantum phenomenon. Right. And since you can't pin it down exactly, that puts enough wiggle room, if you will, into the equation that there is some information in the black hole that might be capable of being discovered. How is that for a first order? That's Right. So quantum mechanics says that the horizon of the black
1: hole must f- fluctuate around a little bit, according, must be slightly uncertain. And so that, that, that gives just enough wiggle room for a few quantum particles to escape mm-hmm. from inside the black hole mm-hmm. at a slow
0: rate. So that was—you uh, began with describing Hawking's famous 1970s—
1: That was 40 years plan. ago. Yep. And he gave an argument— that uh, the information about how the black hole was made would not escape, uh, would not come out with this leak of energy and particles and so on. Uh, Other
0: things would come out, but not the information about how the, how black, the black hole, hole m- came to be.
1: Made. He claimed the present does not determine the future mm-hmm. and cannot even in principle, be used to reconstruct the past.
0: Bad news for historians. Bad news for historians? Good news for people who like free will in the future.
1: Maybe, but bad news for uh, physicists because it's equivalent to saying there aren't absolute laws of physics because a law of physics is supposed to predict the future from the present. It was a very simple argument and people didn't like the conclusion. Mm -hmm. It had been questioned in many different ways, Mm -hmm. but none of the ways in which it was questioned really stuck. So, a few years ago, um, I found, while investigating other problems in in physics, I came across what seemed to be an error in the original, a flawed assumption in Mm -hmm. his original reasoning. Moreover, the nature of the flaw suggested a research program for understanding what really did happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, I explained this to Stephen, and he was very excited about it. And can I just
0: say this is also its a great model of what scientific collaboration can be and isn't always. You find a flaw in an important claim by another famous physicist, and you call him up, and you say, hey, I, there's a problem, and that's collegial of you, and then he responds positively, and that's collegial of him. This is the way it's supposed oh, to work yeah. in the textbooks.
1: Yeah, uh, and it really does work this way for the for the most part, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: It's heartwarming. It, it's not like this in my end of the academy, I promise you that.
1: Well. It, Maybe related to the fact that there's no money in my branch of science. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know. There's a, some there's a, there's a money in those prizes, but but go on.
1: So, um, he and I and uh, his colleague, Malcolm Perry, he had some ideas about how to proceed on this and mm-hmm. to make sense of it. And so, we began a very active and productive collaboration, which went on for the last uh, th- three years of his life. and mm-hmm. um, And we're... We're pushing forward in that direction, it's looking promising, but we mm-hmm. haven't delivered the goods. Right. We don't know yet that, that there isn't some reason this is a, a technical issue rather than than the fundamental. Uh, right.
0: When you were describing how you came up with the, the original thought that led to this collaboration, my reaction was you were describing how you were thinking about something else in physics and then you hit upon reason to think that one of Hawking's original assumptions was inaccurate. And it struck me that's a very Andy way to go about things. One of the key features of your contributions across the whole range of areas where you've worked is that you find and see correspondences between different areas of thought, physics, math, that other people have never hit upon before. That's like the Andy move, as it were. And it's quite a move. So...
1: Well, I don't think I have a patent on this move, but it's the structure of the field. The physics is, um, you know, there's many, it's interconnected in surprising ways. And it often happens. Uh, maybe I'm lucky enough that it happens Haven't to me you more enough often. times that
0: I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure it looks like a coincidence. <laughs> maybe coincidental in nature, but it's not coincidental in you. But anyway, go on.
1: And, um, you know, maybe one could say, you know, Our creator didn't didn't have so many ideas uh, that he kept using the same one over and over again. And you solve a problem in one area and it has a translation into another area.
0: So that hints at a kind of set of structures of unity. I mean, you're sort of kidding about reusing the same idea. What you really mean is that there is an underlying unity and we are describing— different parts of reality in different ways. We've got these mathematical tools or these physics tools to describe something, but we're actually describing a more unified underlying phenomenon. Yeah,
1: we have many ideas and we often don't
0: realize that they're the same idea. And is it your belief that there is some directionality here? I mean, now I'm aiming for something bigger, as it were, even bigger than, you know, than the wormhole and, and the black hole are you a believer in direction in physics towards more and more unification of our theoretical knowledge? Sometimes people talk about a grand unified theory. String theory to which you've made fundamental contributions is sometimes described as a step in the direction of a grand unified theory or an aspiration in that direction. I'm asking you to put it all on the line here.
1: You know, the honest answer to that question is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. People work in different ways. Some people have beliefs that they think that that is how nature works, and they relentlessly pursue demonstrating the physical reality of their beliefs. Others just uh, take the mathematical equations and follow them and see where, where they lead.
0: Um, and you see yourself in the latter camp? I'm,
1: I'm somewhere in between. I have things I believe in, but I, I pride myself in being ready to drop my beliefs when they don't measure up to the equations. The equations are the final arbiters. The equations and the experiments are the final mm-hmm. arbiters of truth mm-hmm. in our field. And many people have, including, you know, Einstein. Einstein had very strong beliefs mm-hmm about how things should be. should be, And that got him through special relativity, general relativity, mm-hmm. and the beginnings of quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. But then he had beliefs about
0: the way the world should be. That were being countermanded. That
1: were being countermanded. By his own, ex-
0: by his own equations and then the experiments that were validating those yeah. equations. And that reduced
1: his, his, his productivity.
0: Um, he did pretty well. He did pretty <laughs> until well until then.
1: He did pretty well, but at some point, he believed things that weren't true. Mm-hmm. He believed that quantum mechanics was wrong. He mm-hmm. believed there weren't black holes. Mm-hmm. He believed there weren't gravity waves. Mm-hmm. You know, he had some yeah. wrong,
0: wrong beliefs.
1: Wrong beliefs yeah. that that he got stuck on,
0: so that interfered with his being able to move on to make the next set of. He might have come up with even more fundamental things if he had been able to keep on pushing. That's right. That's yeah. right. So that's an argument. You may need some beliefs to get you started. Yeah. But there needs to be some kind of a reflective equilibrium where at some point you have to start believing your equations.
1: Yeah. You know, it's always a a conflict between sticking with what you believe in and not giving up and being too stubborn and not being flexible enough. The real truth is it takes all types. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some people who have an idea— and pursue it in the face of unreasonable hardship and difficulty. Yes. And everybody's long, saying no.
0: And everybody's saying no. And some of those people turn out to be right. Nevertheless, some of those people turn out to be right. But most of them fall by the wayside. Yeah. yeah. You need some of you each. You need
1: people with unreasonable beliefs. You need people who are ready to drop their beliefs. It, you know, it takes a village.
0: Let me ask a, a final question about how these different pathways to understanding the world are going to play out in the black hole context. Yeah. When you started working on black holes, as you said, there was still a view among lots of people that there were no such things. Right. And now we're in a very different place. Yeah. We've seen one. Yeah. Does that take some of the thrill out of it? Does it seem, you know, I mean, it's nice to be right, but there seems like there's a stage of, as you said, great observational astronomy in the space of black holes, which is important and will expand our knowledge and maybe give us radically new ideas about the world, but somehow seems to be confirmatory of what you and others predicted and what is actually now believed to be true. Is there some, does it take, I mean, it's thrilling now, but 10 years from now, will some of the thrill be gone in working on something which everyone acknowledges exists? No.
1: Um, I think it's only getting more interesting. We can think of this, the last few years, or this observation even, as kind of a historical marker. Mm -hmm. You know, 100 years ago, the existence of black holes was predicted. Mm -hmm. Now they've been seen in the most straightforward way. So going forward, there will be better and better observations. Mm -hmm. But we still have this huge puzzle,
0: yeah.
1: the Gedanken experiment, what is the result of the Gedanken experiment, what's coming out of the black hole? Or right. equivalently, we, what is inside the black hole now? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a fundamental contradiction in the laws of physics as we currently understand them. So that's something, what makes it so exciting. Something has to give.
0: It's that the thought experiment poses a contradiction between different yeah. things that we're, we are committed to.
1: All the things that we believe to be true can't all be true. Something which we are completely, at this moment, unwilling to give up Mm -hmm. as a truth about the universe must actually be wrong. And the fact that that contradiction was recognized 40 years ago by Mm -hmm. Hawking Mm -hmm. and has sat there, as the years have gone by, the longer it's sat there, the more that we've realized... Of what central importance it is yep. so somehow the observational astronomy world mm-hmm. and the theoretical physics worlds have converged, converged. on black holes as the most things interesting things around incredible and it is I'm pretty confident that well first of all I there's no reason we can't ultimately solve this problem hmm And the fact that it has sat there for so long, I think there is a consensus in the community that we can't solve the problem without a fundamental new insight into the structure of the universe at the same revolutionary level as quantum mechanics or relativity, that it's not a technical problem that we missed a factor of two somewhere. So that's the but, Holy Grail. Then. That is the Holy Grail. It's an exciting thing that that black holes have become come to center stage in observational astronomy at the same time in, as in theoretical physics. We don't have a roadmap how we're going to talk to each other and close that gap, uh, but we're thinking here on a 100-year time scale.
0: We might not even have found... The city where the Holy Grail is is hidden, but we've maybe found the continent, and now That's we're going to have right. to keep exploring. That's right. But it's a pretty big deal to have found the continent. It's a big deal. That's a big deal to have time. found the continent. We know where we're looking. Yeah. And now, and I think you know, although I'm loath to draw too many um, non-physics metaphoric conclusions from physics, the idea that sometimes we're in the grips of contradictory views, and something's got to give, we need some new account to make it work out, is about as good a lesson. To take away from black holes, as I can imagine. Andy, Absolutely. thank you so, so much for your, for, your, for your brilliant thoughts and your time. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Noah. When I see an image like the image of the black hole, I'm filled with wonderment. The mere accomplishment of human beings to be able to see something so far away, to conceive of it, to make sense of it. That's the kind of thing that really hits me where I live. It makes me believe that being human is actually worth something after all. We can actually know things and achieve connection. But you know what? When I listen to Andy, somebody who actually understands at the most profound level what these discoveries are, I'm even more struck by the wonderment that he feels than the wonderment that I feel. He's not jaded at all. He spent a lifetime working on black holes, and to him, we're at the crossroads of excitement where things are only going to keep on getting better. That's genuine scientific exploration. That's genuine scientific collegiality and collaboration like the kind that Andy has done with Stephen Hawking. And it makes you think not just that the universe is an amazing place, but maybe we, at our best, when we're not fighting and we're searching for the truth, aren't such bad people after all. Deep Background is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. Our producer is Lydia Jean Cott with engineering by Jason Gambrell and Jason Rostkowski. Our showrunner is Sophie McKibben. Our theme music is composed by Luis Guerra. Special thanks to the Pushkin Brass, Malcolm Gladwell, Jacob Weisberg, and Mia Lobel. I'm Noah Feldman. You can follow me on Twitter at Noah R. Feldman. This is Deep Background.